Okay, good morning. You know, I was thinking, as Johnny was praying, this group right here is such a a, uh, beautiful, refreshing change from the big, bad world we live in. When I come here, I feel like like it's a sanctuary, not a physical sanctuary, but a spiritual sanctuary for the soul, and I, I appreciate that. I know that that comes from all of you, all of us individually, being sensitive to the Spirit, walking with God, and allowing the Lord Jesus Christ to um, inhabit our bodies, our actions, our attitudes, and I want to bless you all for that. I'm going to read, this is not really the sermon, but I'm going to read a blessing for this church out of Hosea chapter 6, and it's it's where I'm reading in my personal Bible reading, um, and I came across this the other morning, uh, it may have been, I think it was... Uh, May have been the day before New Year's, or maybe may have been the morning of New Year's Day. Uh, but reading through Hosea, where God is just begging His people to come back and pronouncing judgment on them, and then you get to chapter six, and I thought, this what a beautiful prayer for us as a church to pray in a brand new year. There's there's nothing special about a new year and that, you know, we, we're dragging the same people and the same problems and the same whatever into this new year. And yet, <clears throat> sometimes mentally for us, it's a, it's a new opportunity. And so here, here's a beautiful uh, scripture that I want to pray over us as a church. It says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us that He may heal us. We, we've experienced a lot of healing, but we've witnessed a lot of tearing this this past year he has struck us down and he will bind us up after two days he will revive us on the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him let us know let us press on to know the lord his going out is as sure as the dawn he will come to us as the showers as the spring rains that water the earth. I'm going to stop there, but I thought that was a beautiful blessing uh, and really promise that we can claim from the Word of God. And I want to read that over us as a fellowship, and, and that is my prayer for us, that we will experience a deeper knowledge of the Almighty this year and a deeper reviving. Uh, If you would turn your Bibles to Philippians, we'll start in the beginning. I shared a few weeks ago that following the election and the politics of our country right now and even the politics of the world um, being somewhat disturbed by all the things that are going on around us, God brought me to a place, it's probably been a month or two ago, uh, 
when I, where I realized that really my focus was in the wrong place. My focus was was on uh, God doing something within the government that would pave way for the church, and that's not the way God has designed it. God has designed for the church to pave the way for society, and so. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot. I've been thinking about that, what that may mean. I've been thinking about, uh, you know, I think there's a good chance that that we may be losing more of the freedoms that we have known uh, in this coming year <clears throat> as far as politically, socially, and all of that. And it's really brought me to look at myself and, I guess, take inventory of where my confidence is, where my rest is, and what I'm looking to for security. And every time that God forces us to take inventory, it's a good thing. Every crisis that we face is an opportunity to take inventory of what's inside. And so, as I see the world uh, going the way of the world and what I believe are probably our religious freedoms, uh, you know, the, the noose around our religious freedoms tightening. It brings me right back to the cross. And that's what I've been thinking of the last while. Um, because there's a part of me that really shudders at the thought that we may be heading to where, you know, countries like Cuba and Venezuela and even, uh, you know, countries in Europe that really don't have the, the freedoms that we have enjoyed here. And, and I don't like that thought. I like the thought of prosperity. I want things to stay the way that they have been when I was growing up. <clears throat> and yet, and, and we, we really, we don't know what's going to come in this next year. But the one thing I know is that God wants us to have a solid conviction. And actually, Peter says we're to prepare our minds, put on a mindset that we are willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. I know that ease and comfort has made it very tempting and very easy for me to compromise. I've been in situations where somebody will use the name of Christ in vain or they'll, they'll, they'll give a crude joke or they'll say something that you know isn't true or that's crass or whatever. And, and it's easier just to laugh about it than it is to stand up and say, hey, hang on here. Uh, and so I, I, I feel like th- there's, there's this continual temptation to compromise. And uh, what I want to do is Examine the life of Jesus that Paul holds up here in Philippians and let it be exactly what Scripture says that it is, which is a light to light our path, a lamp to light our way, and and a mirror. We can look into God's law of liberty and see how we're doing. So um, it's the mercy of God to give us that opportunity. Let's start reading in... Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you all, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. It's believed that Paul was in prison, possibly in Rome at this point, and um, surrounded by a very hostile government, a government that was more concerned about its own ego than it was the safety of its citizens. And so um, it seems that Paul was in a place where he was very expendable to those around him. I mean, they didn't, you know, as far as, Society was, some people loved him, some people hated him. Um, And Paul was just in that place at the mercy of God and of the people around him. And so he was praying for his people. He says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless. For the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul was a spiritual mentor of this church at Philippi. And his prayer was that their love would abound, that they would be a church known for their love and that it would abound. That means it would be multiplied. I mean, just multiplied them loving one another. That's a recipe for a really great church. He also prayed that they would be filled with knowledge and discernment. It seems to me that if there's ever a day when we need a godly Holy Spirit discernment, it's right now. Because there's a lot that is all around us and is calling to us that claims to be of God that is not. And so his and he knew that was the same for them as well. So his prayer was that they would be filled with knowledge and discernment and that they would learn how to approve things that are excellent. They would reject things that are mediocre, they would reject things that are lukewarm, that may be okay but not excellent, and that they would approve the things that are truly excellent. And so that they would be pure and blameless. <clears throat> For the day of Christ. That they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. That comes through Christ Jesus. To the glory and praise of God. So as I read this. um, I thought well what a. What an amazing prayer. For a spiritual mentor to pray over. The people that he's helping and discipling. How do we get to that place where we're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ and that that actually results in glory and praise to God? Not just something that I've drummed up. I mean, 
I'm talking genuine glory and praise that goes out to the name of the Father because of the fruit of my life. And because it's not just good works that I'm trying to do. It's actually fruit that is abounding because the Spirit of God is working in my heart. I want you to know, brothers, I'm in verse 12, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to, the, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he's saying my imprisonment actually gave the other brothers in the church, most of them, not, not didn't sound like it was quite all of them, but most of them, it actually worked in them a boldness so that they were more bold to speak the word without fear than they had been before. Some indeed preached Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet I shall choose, I cannot tell. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell, he says. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with the Lord, for that is better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul as a mentor is inviting the church and reminding them that it is a gift of God that they have been called to suffer. And that he is he's walking that way too. They can take comfort in his example. He's not asking them to go through something that he's not willing to face. And he says that uh, to your opponents, the fact that you're not frightened about bearing the cross, to your opponents, 
it's a clear sign to them of their own destruction. But of your salvation. And one of the things that is so interesting to me is that once you have nothing to lose, you're unstoppable. You are unstoppable. When we come to the place that we have nothing that we're holding on to, nothing that we're afraid to lose or that we're not willing to lose, we are really unstoppable. I think it's one of the reasons that radical Islam is so crazy. I mean, it seems like once those people have nothing to lose, you can't scare them into behaving themselves. The earlier church was the same way. They weren't afraid of, of, of persecution, prison, whatever it was. They were so convinced that this was God's path for them and they were on the winning side that they were literally unstoppable. And it created a, a lot of uh, panic for some of their leaders. <clears throat> And so Paul is just reminding them that this is this is what we're called to. And I'm here suffering for you. It's it's helping to make you bold, he said, or I'm here suffering for the cause of Christ. Don't be afraid. He's just he, he's just reminding them that this is actually a gift of God that you get to, to share in his sufferings. And today, if 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 there's one thing that I would like for us to see in the word of God today. Is that we do not have to be afraid. We can go out of here no matter what happens in 2021 and we can go out of here with confidence and peace and rest and smile at those who hate us and we can be unstoppable because we're not fearful. <clears throat> and so Paul says to them, this is, these are my words, but in case this looks a little intimidating, and it does, I mean, I, I, it is intimidating to me, <clears throat> To think of living through the persecution that, that the early church lived through. And so Paul encourages them with the life of Jesus Christ in chapter 2. We're gonna, uh, I want to read uh, probably the entire chapter. <clears throat> he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ. Well, is there? Do you find encouragement in Christ? I mean, there should be. I mean, there's days that I wake up and I'm not really encouraged about anything. That's not God's fault. That's my that's my problem. But are you convinced that there's encouragement in Christ? He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He's giving them some practical advice. Not necessarily how to suffer persecution, but how to live with one another in peace within the church. Let me read this again. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same goals, having the same love, 
being in full accord and of one mind. That's unity. It's not necessarily uniformity. It's, it's unity in goals and pursuits. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Our entire culture and a lot of the advertisements that we hear over the radio or the television or whatever we listen to, uh, the majority of the advertisements that we hear encourage you to selfish ambition and conceit. Paul is saying, don't do anything from the motives of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. How do you do that? Practically. Lest we be overwhelmed by commandments, let's just, I want to just move in here and and say that God is so kind to come and be a forerunner for us. And the next few verses create an enormous gulf from where Jesus Christ came from to where he, he came to, which is our earth. And somehow in this scripture, God asks us to measure that distance and find our place. Is that up here? I didn't do it. See if I can scare you again. What I love about Jesus is that he says, here, here's how you do it. And he shows us. The life of Jesus Christ was one big demonstration of the mind and heart of the Father. And then he voluntarily takes the cross first and then he says, now come and follow me. I did it, you can do it. <clears throat> so, it, Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, this mindset that I'm about to, to talk about belongs to you as you abide in Christ Jesus. And by the way, it's the only way that you can have this mindset is by abiding in Christ. It is, it is not naturally possible for you to have this mindset that we're getting ready to read outside of abiding in Christ. And so what Jesus invites us to, what Paul is inviting the Philippians to, <clears throat> is to, to be partakers of this mindset through the avenue of abiding in Jesus Christ. It says, who thought he, who, who though he was in the form of God... 
And he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Though he was in the form of God, he didn't, he didn't consider that his equality with God was something that he should tightly hang on to. I'm going to be honest. There are things in my life that I want to hang on to. Whether it's my safety, my security, financially, you know, physically, my reputation. There are things that, that are hard to relinquish. And yet Jesus says, come here, I'm going to show you how to do this. He was in the form of God, yet he did not count equality with God. Something to hang on to. But he emptied himself. Not only did he allow humanity and the the wretchedness of this world to empty him him and to burn him out and to, to deplete him. He voluntarily emptied himself. He proactively emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant. Last week we heard a little bit of detail about the way that Jesus came to this earth. I mean, he literally came in probably in in the most lowly way possible for a child of that day. He emptied himself on purpose, intentionally. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Something that struck me as I read this was, uh, is this the first time that God in the form of Jesus humbled himself when he became a man? We take it for granted that all creatures have to learn how to humble themselves because we're so proud. God doesn't have God didn't have to learn how to humble himself from eternity past. He is perfection. But when Jesus took on manhood, he introduced himself to an environment where If my understanding on this is right, where he actually had to combat pride and choose humility. We don't know anything different. That's the way we came out. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. I wonder if this year, this next year, we will be willing to humble ourselves by our obedience to God. And whatever it is, in whatever capacity that God asks you to serve Him, whatever thing it may be in your life that God asks you to give up, so our obedience is a product of our humility. And for Jesus, becoming obedient took him all the way to the point of death. 
and not a natural death, but it specifies here death on the cross. God is not simply in the scripture bringing us to a miserable end. What he is doing is showing us the way to true life and true glory. And my desire for my own heart is that for my own life, for my own vision for this next year, is that I could see the cross and death as a gateway to true life. Because that's what it really is. As much as it looks like an end to us on this side, it is a gateway to life. In fact, you won't have life without the cross. The Bible says that because of Jesus humbling himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross, therefore, because of that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. To the glory of God the Father. So, so uh, as I hear sometimes people cursing God and, and, and hating on God and um, taking the Lord's name in vain, it is astounding to me to realize that that same tongue, every tongue, is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's not going to be in a mocking way. It's going to glorify God the Father. And every knee is going to bow. And so that is our future. Our future is that we, through death now, through, through death to the flesh, through death to self, through being willing to give up everything for the cause of Christ in this life, God offers us a gateway into life. Jesus said, whoever tries to protect his life, whoever loves his life, whoever hangs on, Whoever counts it a thing to be grasped is going to lose it. But whoever is willing to lose it for the sake of Jesus Christ and the gospel, he is going to find it. So, I I feel like in the past year I've seen and heard a lot of self-preservation and it's come out of my own mouth and my own life. Um, I, I've just heard a lot about rights, uh, rights as Americans, the Constitution and how that should protect me and... and um, you know, where to invest my money, how I can keep it safe, how I can, not that I have a lot, but, you know, that seems to be a big conversation for young men in my stage of life because they're, they're wanting to build up a security. <clears throat> and we are bombarded with advice. And I mean bombarded with advice about what's right and good to do. And I would like to remind us this morning that the only safe thing is to die. 
to give it up for the cause of Christ. The only safe investment, which is, I don't, if it's money, time, whatever it is, is to put it back into the kingdom of God, where Jesus said you're going to lay up treasure in heaven where it can't be corrupted or cankered or, or, or eaten up or stolen or destroyed. We actually get the opportunity to take physical things, time, money, resources, abilities that God has given you, and invest it in an investment where it cannot fail. There's no other place other than the kingdom of God where you have that opportunity, that kind of an investment opportunity. But you do through the cross. God has highly exalted Jesus Christ and bestowed on him the name that is every that is above every name. It's the name that Satan trembles at. The, the name that the demons have to be subject to. So, to. so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're going to get to see that someday with our own eyes, and it's going to be a glorious thing. Paul says to the church in Philippians, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know what? If you find yourself in a place where you, you're just not ready to give up everything. And I, I find myself in this place like, God, I, I still got some living to do. I, you know, I, I feel like I need to hang on to this or hang on to my reputation here or defend myself in this way. Uh, he says, Paul reminds us that it is God who works in you both to will, to give you the willingness to do His good pleasure, and then to be able to complete it. Don't be afraid if you find yourself lacking in your willingness to say, God, I want to be willing, but right now I'm not. Would you bring me to the place of willingness? I'm willing to be made willing. You can be that honest with the Lord. I'm afraid to lose. I'm afraid to give it all up, but I'm willing to be made willing. And God will take you up on it, believe me. Probably not when you're expecting it. Probably not in the way that you're expecting it. But He does. He's merciful. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Do you remember how in the uh, tabernacle there were certain offerings where they were instructed to put the main offering on the altar and then they would pour the drink offering over the top of that? Paul's saying, 
if I can somehow be used of the Lord and be instrumental in you being willing to lay your offering on the altar and then God can pour out my offering as a drink offering on top of your offering. In other words, if I can serve the offering of your life, I want to do it. Just a beautiful, beautiful display of of Paul's heart for the church and of the way that he's saying, I'm walking this out, you can too. I'm going to stop there uh, in Philippians chapter 2. I want to read something from F.B. Meyer. He says, and I quote, There was no other way to the glory than Calvary and the grave. If if his Jesus' love for man was to bear much fruit, he must fall into the ground and die. Death is the only way to saviorship. Death is the only cure of loneliness and the necessary price of fruitfulness. End of quote. Jesus does not ask us to give up to make us miserable. He doesn't ask us to to surrender and come under the obedience of the cross to make us miserable. He he does it because he knows that it's the only pathway to life. Whatever it is for you that God asks you to surrender to him this year, I want you to know that it is because God wants to produce abundant life in your life and producing forth for the church and the world to be fed from it. Jesus said that uh, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it, and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. We don't serve God for the honor. But he has promised that he will give it. Let's pray. Jesus, we just want to say thank you for coming here, being our forerunner. Thank you for showing us how it's done. You had so much more to lose than we do. Infinitely more to lose than we ever will. And yet you came 
and you voluntarily, voluntarily emptied yourself on purpose, intentionally. You emptied yourself by being born into this miserable world and coming to a place where you could identify with all of the, the filth that we were in. Father, you humbled yourself by becoming obedient. Even though you didn't feel like it, you were obedient. And your obedience led you all the way down so low that you, that you died as a criminal. Wrongfully. Lord, when we compare ourselves with you, we have so little to lose. And we pray this morning that you would make us fearless as we gaze on you, as we gaze on your sacrifice, as we gaze at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that, that you so bravely embraced. <clears throat> what in the world is it that we have to hang on to, Lord? Thank you for showing us how it's done. We pray that you work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure, which is walking the same path. Pray that you will produce life from this church in the coming year, <clears throat> that you would revive us again, that you would pour out your spirit on this church people from our community would come to see the glory of the Lord. We love you. We're asking you for the grace to die. The new life would spring up from this place. Abundant life. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.